There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Phil Muscatello. And I'm Mark Tobin. And we're Talking Companies. And today we're talking Acro Formwork and Construction Services. The ASX code is ACF. The company was formerly known as NMG Corporation Limited and has changed its name to Acro Formwork and Construction Services. The company was founded in 1936, I believe in the UK, Steve. Is that um, the case? Uh, yep, that's my understanding of the original sort of background of the, the Acro name. Yep, came from the United Kingdom, but it's now based in Sydney, Australia. So Acro operates formwork and scaffold equipment solutions to residential, commercial, civil and industrial customers. And we're pleased to welcome the CEO, MD and Executive Director of Acro, Stephen Boland. G'day, Steve. G'day, Phil. G'day, Mark. Thanks for uh, taking the time to have a chat today. No, thanks for coming on. It's really good to take a deep dive into this. So we spoke a little bit about um, the company being around from 1936. If you could just give us a little bit of a potted history of what you know about of the company, even though obviously you weren't around for that long. Not quite, getting close. The actual um, ACRO name operates in a range of countries. So the name started in the UK, but you'll find an ACRO in New Zealand, you'll find an ACRO in Ireland, you'll find an ACRO in in the United Arab Emirates, none of those companies have a relationship with the Australian business. So this business actually came out of Boral. So this was a long-term asset of the Boral, uh, as Boral Formwork and Scaffolding. Around about 11 years ago, uh, the business was sold out of Boral into a private equity group, Anchorage Capital Partners, who bought the business as your sort of classic turnaround, you know, sort of the orphan business within a much larger business that needed a bit of a shape up. And yeah, typical private equity, you know, their job was get in, sort it out, and then move it on, you know, a cleaner, better run business. I came in eight years ago, so after the first couple of years of the private equity ownership, and I've run the business, I said, now for just over eight years, and on the uh, in April of 2018, we took the business public. So the, the departure arrangement out of private equity, after looking at a range of options, was actually to do a listing. And the NMG company that you referred to was effectively an ASX shell that we uh, we backdoor listed Acro into. Mm. And it's just interesting for me because we're basically talking about concrete and construction here, aren't we? Well, in, in the formwork side of the business, which is becoming a predominant, yes, it is. It's, the, it's basically providing equipment that forms the, the laying of concrete on projects from, you know, large and small, everything from, you know, tunnels and bridges on some of the biggest projects in the country to car parks through to, you know, just normal slabs in sort of construction. I remember there was a bit of a kerfuffle when Anzac Bridge was being built here in Sydney about why it had to be so tall. And apparently that was to do with the shipping that was required for the concrete facility in Piermont. And um, I just don't think we have a real good idea about what the basic building blocks of construction are and why it is such a critical part of our infrastructure. Oh, well, you can think about, again, the, some of the, the work that we've really pivoted into over the last few years on some of the, you know, the big, big civil infrastructure projects. You know, if you think about one of the big projects is the Westgate Tunnel Project in Victoria. So you've got a tunnel going under the Westgate Bridge and a whole range of ancillary roads and bridges off the back of that. And you've got all this underground rail work. You know, so in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane at the moment, 
three huge infrastructure projects to develop a new underground rail network, which includes building stations on the ground, the laying of the platforms, and actually the, the station boxes, and all the work, and you can imagine all the work in tunnelling. So, I mean, it's all it's all concrete-based. It's all concrete-formed, the sides of the tunnels and et cetera, and you've got to provide equipment to um, effectively keep the concrete in place while it's curing. And uh, what did you find at Acro when you first stepped in? What was your first impressions and what what was needed? <laughs> <laughs> it was a mess, um, was my first impression. The Anchorage guys probably undersold to me the degree of mess that we were walking into. Um, look, now, look, it had been pretty run down. I mean, despite the efforts of some really good people and a number of them who are still working for us today, it had been pretty badly neglected. It was just focusing on the wrong areas. It had a branch network that is just not necessary, you know, a whole lot of regional depots with all the associated overhead you have with that sort of stuff that's just, just not necessary for this sort of business. So, you know, needed a fair degree of surgery. But we did turn it around significantly over that five-year period. First year that I started in the May, that financial year, the business lost three and a half, four million dollars at the sort of the EBITDA line. By the time we took the business public just over three years ago, we got it up to making $10 million positive EBITDA without a lot of investment. You know, private equity's job is to sort it out, move it on, not to invest a lot of more money into growth. So, you know, we're able to improve the profitability by, you know, circa $14 million over a five-year period without a lot of investment and actually at that period actually reducing the, the revenue. You know, when I started, the business was turning over about $80 million and losing four. And when we went public, we were turning over... 68 million and making 10 right so we sort of refocused in a lot of areas so it did another fair bit of surgery and then when you know when we became public it was just at the right time you know for the float was successful we came into the new life with no debt and with a, an opportunity to grow so we, we used to get most of our earnings actually out of scaffold rather than formwork so perimeter scaffold that sits around a you know typical say a 30-story residential tower block being built by the likes of Americans or somebody, we would provide the scaffold around that. And um, yeah, that was a predominant business. We pivoted away from that. We still do it at a level, but it's a highly fragmented, highly commoditized part of the construction industry. There's lots of players, not a lot of differentiation in product or service, and it's very price-driven. Whereas formwork, as I said, you know, you're working on some of the biggest and most important Australian infrastructure projects. I mean, we're working, for example, at the moment, we've started doing a lot of work down at the Snowy Hydro 2 project. It's huge, right? And, you know, that will probably be our biggest revenue-generating project over the next sort of five years. So that's a very different style. It's highly engineered. It's got high barriers to entry that market. There's not a lot of competitors. They're all very large companies. It's, again, it's a totally different model to, to normal scaffold. So public company, investing in capital, pivoting towards the more engineered side of the of the industry and that was sort of the, the key part of what happened three years ago and there's, a, and there's a range of things that have happened since that have transformed that business to, you know, I talked about it being a sort of mid-60s turnover business to today, you know, we're heading towards in this current financial year $120 million plus of, uh, of revenue and significantly higher profits than we uh, previously were generating. And uh, with scaffolding, there's a lot more competition in the scaffolding business as opposed to the um, the formwork business. Why is that? Is it, there more skills involved in what you're currently focusing on? Yeah, look, there are lots of lots and lots of scaffold companies in every capital city. You know, there was probably on a decent sized project in Sydney, for example, there might be twenty companies that are capable of doing what we could deliver. Yeah, you know, there's obviously going to be some differentiation around serviceability and you know customer relationships and all those things. But there are lots and lots of companies who operate, some national, but some just just in one geography. 
You can buy a pretty cheap scaffold out of China if you want to buy cheap scaffold. So the supply is not that difficult. There is quality issues around the differentiations there. The gear we provide for Formwork is totally different to that. There's only actually probably four or five national players who can provide you know, the equipment required to do forming of a, of a tunnel or a bridge on you know, a major road or rail infrastructure project. And most of our competitors are actually the Australian subsidiaries of European manufacturers of formwork equipment. So the big companies who actually manufacture formwork as their core business. And as part of that, they've established Australian subsidiaries to market their products into the Australian market. And has there been any developments, technologically speaking, that have changed over the years and how this work is undertaken? Yeah, in formwork, absolutely. Scaffold, not a lot, a little bit. I mean, there's some different styles of scaffold that have made it become a bit easier in terms of labour, et cetera. But no, in the formwork industry, lots of development. And it was one of the things that changed when we became a public company. And one of the things we've done, we've made two really significant acquisitions in the last three years. We bought a business called Natform about three years ago now that provides screens on high-rise developments as edge protection rather than scaffold. Um, you can see them around all of the major developments in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, you will see on the high-rise rather than scaffold all the way to the, the top of the building, you'll see like it looks, it's a screen. It's an edge protection screen. And we bought that business three years ago. And then about just under two years ago, we bought a business called Unispan that was Queensland-based and had a, had a relationship, we still do today, with a company called Ulma, who are a European manufacturer. Look, that was probably the most transformational thing we've done over this period, buying that Unispan business, because Acro didn't have a relationship with a, a European manufacturer. So to some degree, we were not at the cutting edge of the sort of developments you're talking about, and there are a lot of technological developments. Tell us about some of those technological developments. Oh, just some of the equipment that you need that is available now for... Um, Tunneling work, for example, this absolute specialist equipment that Acro didn't have, we didn't have an avenue for that until we bought the Unispan business and the Ulma manufacturing relationship off the back of that. The primary thing is, number one, do the job properly from a safety perspective because it's key to the foundation of what's being built. But also if it saves time, if it saves labour, if it saves crane time, anything that comes into those sort of projects that will reduce the overall cost, will improve the you know timeliness of the project being delivered, so, you know, cost from both the labour and, say, crane time. You know, crane time is obviously a crucial part of a construction project. So there's always developments of that nature designed to do those things, just deliver a better result for the actual builder or the form worker who's undertaking the construction. Yeah, Steve, as you said, you've kind of exited a few low-margin businesses where, you know, they're generating revenue but maybe not a lot of margin and bought these other two businesses you just alluded to and bedded those down over the last, call it, you know, 12, 20, 24 months. Is it now about driving kind of margin efficiency and revenue growth through those two businesses or is there, you know, a couple of other acquisitions maybe that you're looking at to get you into some other areas on these big projects, as you say, you know, Snowy Hydro or Inland Rail or West Connects. They're huge projects with a lot of budget. And I'm just wondering, are you trying to get, you know, a bigger slice of that pie? Yes, yeah, so look, might slightly repeat myself to some degree, but there's been four key things that have changed ACRO in the last three years. So number one was the core business changed its focus into civil infrastructure away from commercial residential scaffold. And we invested in some equipment at that point before we made this acquisition. So the core business is a better business today, has a better quality of earnings than it did three years ago. Then we added Natform to it, and it's been a very successful acquisition. After a slowish start, the last 12 months have been cracking for us. 
Then we added Unispan to it. That was only a Queensland-based business. So we've now got a product range out of Unispan that we can grow nationally. We operate in every every state in Australia, whereas so Unispan was Queensland only. So we've got Unispan-specific style equipment, you know, Western Australia and Tasmania and South Australia and Victoria, and they are all brand new channels for revenue. So it's real true organic growth coming off the back of that. And then the fourth thing that is absolutely crucial right now, one of the most important things we've undertaken, also came off the back of Unispan. So Unispan had a strong industrial services scaffolding business in Queensland. So this is servicing oil and gas, power stations, paper mills, in mining and industrial sector, and when they're undertaking shutdown work or maintenance work on all their plant and facilities. So we had a business in Queensland that we've acquired as Unispan that was doing about $10 million of revenue a year in that space just in Queensland. In the last eight to nine months, we've cracked open the New South Wales market for that area. We did $20 million of revenue in that space in the FY21 financial year. We will do over $30 million of revenue in this space in the 22 financial year. So we've grown that business significantly because it's got very similar dynamics to Formwork in terms of it having high barriers to entry. It's not price-driven. You know, If you think about it, if you're doing providing the equipment and the manpower for a shutdown at uh, Mount Piper Power Station, for example, or the Visitum at Paper Mill like we are, you can't get this stuff wrong. You can't take shortcuts on safety. You can't take shortcuts on equipment. You know, it's highly skilled type work. That's the next thing. The way I talk about Acro is we pivoted to Civil Infrastructure 1, we bought Natform 2, we bought Unispan 3, and now we've really expanded our industrial footprint. So they're the four key things that have transformed Acro from a 60-odd million dollar business to a 120-odd million dollar business making... 30 instead of 10. That's the sort of range of the change of the business. So that's sort of, I guess, the fundamental. But now what I see in front of us here M&A question, I'm very keen to look at the industrial services market nationally. So you know, I don't have anything today that, like I say, we want to acquire that, but we are very keen. You know, Western Australia and South Australia are big markets for that sort of stuff. You think about, you know, Western Australia is probably the biggest market in the country for industrial and mining. So we are pretty soon going to start having a serious look at what, what might be available for us and that made sense in that industrial space. I mean, I'd ideally love to have a business in the next couple of years that had really strong formwork revenue that was almost matched by really strong industrial revenue because the other thing that I was going to say about the industrial revenue, there's a view sometimes in the market and there's a view sometimes with our shareholders about ACRO if there's a negative, oh, it's a cyclical business, right? Well, I'm pretty happy with the cycle we've been on because in eight years I've been running the business, we've made more money every year than the year before. So I like that cycle. Yeah, and secondly, the civil infrastructure pipeline for the country is massive for at least the next decade. But it is true to say that there's going to be a degree of cyclicality in that at some point. The industrial work is not cyclical. You know, so it gives you a far more secure earning profile than if you were just project to project. We have to go project to project in our formwork business. But you win contracts. We've won a busy contract at their busy paper mill and Schumann. That's a five-year contract. So we know exactly what the revenue and profitability should be out of that contract every year for five years. So I think that combination with the civil business, I think that potentially is a far more appealing structure to the market. You know, it's a more sustainable earnings profile in general. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can I just ask a question in terms of what's the definition of an industrial customer or client or job? So power station. Okay. So um, we're just doing work at the moment on Mount Piper, Bayswater and Araring power stations in New South Wales. The busy paper mill in, um, in Tumut. We've got a five-year contract. So every year they need to do a shutdown that goes for a couple of months to basically all the maintenance for their plant. So we provide the scaffolding and the men to basically enable that maintenance. Yeah, sometimes you're working in the middle of a boiler, right? So there's a lot of highly technical work around that. So, uh, And then said oil and gas, you know, we do work with Origin Energy in Queensland. We've got a three-year contract with those guys. Snowy Hydro is actually more of a utility-style project at the moment than an infrastructure project in its early days. And Steve, in terms of uh, on the farm work business, as you say, you know, the infrastructure spend since, you know, I guess, I can't remember when it was, but when everybody finally agreed who's going to be on the hook for what uh, in terms of federal government, state government uh, and some of the big cities a few years back, you know, we've seen an explosion of infrastructure work, a lot of it catch up and then obviously new projects as well are projects that have been talked about for like a long, 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 long time. I mean, is it as good as it gets in the infrastructure market right now for, you know, people who are supplying into it? Or is there yet, you know, more projects that are still at tender stage, planning design stage? Um, I know you have a, a slide in the presentation of, you know, all the projects and kind of when they're roughly supposed to start and roughly supposed to end. And as you say, you know, there's at least a 10-year pipeline ahead of there. But is there even more projects that could be added into this that are, you know, further back along the track and haven't got the go button pressed yet? I think the first point around all that stuff is that you're right, you know, in our presentations, we always roll out the national road and rail infrastructure spend. Now, that spend over the last three years, which has only gone up by actually 15%. If you looked at that chart three years ago, it would have said that we were going to have a 50 or 60% increase in spend by this point. It's only been 15% for the last three years. As a bit of a comparative for how ACRO has performed in that market, and obviously we're a really small part of you know billions and multi-billions of dollars of spend, our revenue from civil infrastructure in the last three years has gone up by 60%. So while the market has actually only increased by 15, we've gone up in our part of that. We've increased our revenue in that space by 60%. What's ahead of us now in the next couple of years, I'm especially confident about, again, if you look at the chart, it says it's going to be a 70% increase in the next three years. I don't believe it for a minute, right? These projects never go smoothly. They never finish on you know, the date they're expected to finish on. So the profile becomes a longer, flatter profile, with certainly with significant increases, but not the 70% peak that you're seeing on that current chart that we roll out on a regular basis. So that's good news for us, right? I mean, we're a hire of equipment on those projects. If it goes longer, then that's okay for us. We just get more revenue. But what gives me a high degree of confidence about the current picture is that the predominance of new projects in Queensland. Queensland's our strongest business. We've got about 50% of our revenue comes out of the Queensland market. We were the number one form worker in Queensland. Unispan were the number two. You put those two together and we're a very strong number one now, right? So if you look at projects like Cross River Rail, the big one for us that's kicking in right now is the Bruce Highway, which is the upgrade from Corroy to Curra at the moment. 
that will be our biggest revenue generating project this year for ACRO in the FY22 financial year, probably into 23, and then probably surpassed at some point by Snowy. We know the profile in Queensland is so strong that our revenue stream for the next, you know, five to 10 years is going to be far better than it is today. But to your question, there are projects that are coming out of the ground on a regular basis that, you know, they're not even particularly public. I mean, look at some of the things in New South Wales, right? So there's the we're building an airport, for starters, at Badgerys Creek. We don't really factor much in for that at the moment. You've got a rail link that's going to go from St Mary's to Badgerys Creek that's got to be built for that airport. You've got a new metro rail in a city. So, you know, we've currently got the metro rail that runs sort of through Marrickville into the city and into the northern suburbs into sort of Crowsness and Chatswood. There's another link of that that's going to go out through sort of Roselle, Balmain, Glebe, you know, out to the inner western suburbs. Those contracts have been awarded to all those rail projects in New South Wales. We haven't even talked about an opportunity for rail on, on the northern beaches of Sydney, which is, you know, anybody who lives in Sydney would know that's well and truly overdue, right? So you think about all those sorts of opportunities. That's just Sydney. The biggest freeway development in Australia is going to kick off in Victoria in the next 12 months is the North East Link. Now, if you, know, if you remember, when Andrews got elected in Victoria, he canned the North East Link. That was one of the things <laughs> the Libs were going to do it. He came in and canned it. And now five years down the track, they're doing it, right? And it's a huge project. It's actually a far bigger project than the current Western Distributor Westgate project in Melbourne. So there's a lot of space in front of us. And we've mentioned a couple of times the inland rail. That's probably a 15-year project to get a whole rail network inland. Now, the stuff that we're looking at at the moment is only a couple of hundred, maybe two or three hundred kilometre stage in sort of central Queensland to sort of southern inland Queensland. So the short answer is this is not going to turn off anytime soon in terms of civil infrastructure in the country. And then, Steve, if we maybe just go into the uh, capital management side of the business for a while, I know debt has ticked up a bit. Some of that's related to our notes on these acquisitions, the last bits and pieces of payments for those, but you still declared a dividend. Can you give us maybe a sense of... You know, I'm guessing this is a business that will always have a bit of a debt profile in it, but where you'd like to see that kind of sit long term and what the board's view is on returning cash to shareholders via dividends or, you know, holding back some of that cash to look at acquisitions or fund acquisitions, as you mentioned earlier, in the industrial services side of the business. So we've um, we had a significant surge in new capital opportunities right at the end of the last financial year. And it's paying off. Our higher revenue numbers, which is the big generator of you know, our sort of core profit, our higher revenue per month at the moment is up about 25% of what it was at the same time last year. That's about a million bucks a month of more higher revenue in the business. A lot of that comes off the back of capital investment. So towards the end of the last financial year, we renegotiated our banking arrangement with Westpac. That was done successfully. We then came into the new year with a profile that we were comfortable with based on both our budgeted cash and EBITDA and our budgeted capital. And then a whole range of new opportunities have presented themselves. And this is like, we don't do anything we're not going to get a 40% IRR on in year one. We just don't, right? I mean, we're really strict on that. So a whole range of new opportunities presented themselves, such as the Visi contract where we've won that for five years. That contract alone requires about a $1.5 million investment for us. We'll make far more than that out of the contract over five years. So we decided that it was timely for us to do a capital raise that we uh, undertook, I think it's around about six weeks ago now. We really don't want more bank debt at the moment. You know, we're running at about 
debt to EBITDA. We want to get that down under one. But this business, and I've made this point quite clearly to a range of shareholders at different times, if you want Agro to run as a cash-generating business at the moment, don't be an investor, right? I mean, we'll keep paying dividends and we will have a discipline around paying dividends, and we do. We will pay between 30 to 50% free cash in dividends. But if you're expecting us to not have a significant growth capital profile for the next few years, then we're not for you because we will still be spending circa $10 million per year in growth capex, I think, for at least the next two to three years as a minimum because that's what's in front of us. The key to this stuff is investing into the cycle as it makes sense to do so, but also turning your capital tap off and letting somebody else take the last 25 or 30% of it, right? And then these higher-orientated businesses, when they're just running at sort of maintenance capex levels, they spit out an enormous amount of cash. In the last two years that I was running the business when it was part of private equity and we weren't really investing in growth capital, you know, we made $20 million of EBITDA over two years and paid down $18 million in debt over that same period. This business will churn out an enormous amount of cash in a certain cycle. But that cycle is not going to be for a few years yet. It's going to be a minimum of 10 in growth capex I can see in Acro for the next period of time. Hmm. I was just interested to find out the strategy that you've deployed to win the confidence of the former construction industry. Yeah, okay. So, look, the, the, we had a very strong civil infrastructure business in Queensland, Phil. So we built that up over a long period of time. You know, it was there when I started. The best business Acro had was in Queensland, still is today. But, you know, we had a very good team and they were very strongly focused on civil infrastructure. We couldn't crack that in New South Wales. We couldn't crack it in Victoria. We had a reasonable little bit of work in WA, but for whatever reason, we had been unable to crack the New South Wales and Victoria civil markets. And I guess we were fortunate in that some of the key... Uh, I guess, project managers that we had worked with in Queensland for some of the big guys like, you know, John Holland, et cetera, were moving on to projects in other states. So there was already a reputation of ACRO's performance because of the Queensland experience that wasn't in those states, but we could take that. The Queensland State GM of ACRO, he moved to Victoria three years ago. And so with his experience and knowledge of how to run those sorts of operations, it came also at the same time as we made some decent-sized capital investments in equipment we put a lot of effort into engineering. I mean, engineering expertise in that space is without doubt our number one competitive advantage. I will back our engineering team above our competitors any day of the week in terms of their customer focus, their design focus, their promptness, their ability to get things done quickly and change very quickly requirements that customers customers do with their jobs. Three years ago, we turned over $2 million in Victorian civil infrastructure. Last year, we did fourteen. Right. So in a business that turns over circa 100 plus, you know, we went from two to 14 just in Victoria in that space. And that was off the back of already having some relationships who had experience with Acro, putting some expertise into the business in terms of people and equipment and really, really heavily focusing on the engineering element. And when I say that, it's commercial engineering. Over technically, it's to come up with a design to do the best job for the customer that's going to be the best result in terms of cost and solution, right? So it's a really commercially focused engineering attitude. And that made the difference in Victoria. You know, and now we're starting to see the same sorts of things kicking into New South Wales. New South Wales has been harder for us, but we're now starting to see some of the, the fruit coming off the back of that. That's the maybe final one from me. Um, with all the kind of various, you know, state border lockdowns and indeed the international border lockdown, maybe just talk to, you know, how it's affected the business in terms of 
moving people around, moving kit around, and then, you know, trying to get equipment in from Europe with, you know, shipping rates off the charts and supply chain disruptions globally, which I think are going to drag on even when we all get out of lockdown for probably another 12 or 24 months, even after most of the world gets back to some kind of normality. Just the kind of COVID impacts on the business. I think, look, firstly, none of our branches have stopped operating at all. Uh, through COVID. So even when there was the complete two-week shutdown of the New South Wales construction industry in July, right, the two weeks, our branch still operated. However, obviously, the sites were shut, so we didn't shut our branch. We still had to do work we needed to get things going. But we did have a two-week loss of higher revenue that we will catch up. So we don't lose that. I mean, if we're employing labour on construction sites, and I've still got to pay the labour, but I don't get paid by the job, that's a big problem for you. But for us, it's gear. So the gear sitting on the job, we don't charge for it for that couple of weeks, but we'll charge for it somewhere further down the path of the job. So, so far, we've had very little revenue impact off the back of COVID. And I've been asked quite you know, a lot recently when I'm doing, doing shareholder presentations, what keeps me up at night? And yeah, COVID does, because I can't control it. None of us at all have any idea what the next 12 months is going to look like in relation to COVID. We hope it's going to get better, but who knows? So we've just got to adapt to whatever is in front of us in that regard. Up until today, basically almost zero impact in our revenue. Moving equipment around the country, no issue. We can move gear from Sydney to Western Australia in a truck. You know, the border is not locked down for logistics transports across borders, so that's that doesn't affect us. The international things are a real issue. You're dead right. Logistics is becoming a nightmare. Manufacturing is slowing down in a lot of parts of Europe. The approach that we've decided to take in ACRO, and everybody's in the same boat in this regard, so, you know, how can we turn this situation into a competitive advantage for us? So one of the things that our guys have done really well over the last three to four months is find sources of very, very good quality second-hand formwork equipment. Most of this formwork gear lasts you 20 years. So we're talking about buying equipment that might be three to four years old at a significant discount to new price. And it doesn't need to be manufactured. It's sitting on a dock. We can find it somewhere and we just get it. So instead of it taking six to nine months to get here, we can get it here in three months. We've got a lot of gear at the moment coming out of the east coast of the US, good quality secondhand gear. So I think for us, we can turn that into a competitive advantage in that regard because we're not tied to have to get all new gear from our manufacturing parent in Europe. And our guys have done a great job in sourcing this good quality equipment. So it's certainly an issue. Anyone tells you it's not kidding themselves, but we've decided we're going to take a very proactive approach in not compromising our quality of a gear. But, you know, if we can get something that's three years old for a 30% discount on the price of new and get it here in three months, it can go out and do the job that brand new equipment can any day of the week. So that's, that's the approach that we're adopting. And Steve, one final question. What's your view of the current state of Australian rugby? Oh, I wish you hadn't have asked that question. <laughs> We've got a, someone in South Africa here at the moment. I'm sure he's keen to hear. Oh, dear. I'm sad to say I don't even look at it anymore. It doesn't give me any joy to say, you know, someone who, you know, used to run a professional rugby club. I used to be president of a local club in Sydney. I was the president of the Parramatta Two Blues for a couple of years. My kids have all, you know, grown up playing rugby. I don't even watch it anymore. I watched one minute of the last Bledisloe Cup match in Perth and turn it off. I'm afraid it's dire. I would think one of the best decisions that we could make at the moment is completely open up this 
GitHub rule, if you like, you know, for allowing players that are playing overseas to come back and play for the Wallabies. I mean, those days are gone. You can't keep your best players in the country. You can't economically compete with the European clubs. It's got to become like soccer. You've got to pick the best possible Wallabies team. If they have to be playing in England, so what? You've got to pick them. Otherwise, you're just not going to be competitive. And I think, you know, Australian rugby needs a strong Wallabies and then everything else comes off the back of that and we just don't have it at the moment. It was great to catch up again, Steve, and glad to hear things are travelling well on your side. And, uh, yeah, we've... I've been a keen follower of Acro for the last couple of years since it's been listed, and uh, I'll definitely be keeping my eye on it over the next couple of years. Sounds like there's a, an exciting road ahead. Yeah, thanks very much, Mark, and thanks, Phil. We appreciate your time, guys. It's been great chatting to you. And, um, yeah, Mark, you know, it's been you know, a supporter of our, our business for the last period of time, and I look forward to chatting to you again. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Companies interviewed for this podcast have contributed to the cost of production. This should not be construed as sponsorship or endorsement. The role of this podcast is to convey the company's story. All listeners must seek advice from an ASIC-licensed finance professional before making any investment in these companies, as microcap stocks are speculative in nature. Listeners are required to do their own research and due diligence in conjunction with the relevant advice from your ASIC-licensed finance professional. Participation by companies in the podcast does not suggest or imply any sort of recommendation about the companies being interviewed. Nothing in the podcast is to be considered general or personal financial advice in any way, shape or form. All company interviews are for informational and educational purposes only. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.